Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 9. The title for our study today is called Reaping What is Sown. Ooh, going to love this one. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things I do for ministry, please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and telling people about it on social media, sharing it with the people that you know. A simple tap of the like or the share button could help put the true gospel of Jesus Christ in front of someone's eyes, maybe for the first time, or even encourage a believer who really needs it right now. And that's what we all want. Amen. So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 9, here's what the Bible says. To the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, and the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. All right. So this is part four of our four-part study of Psalm 9. It was a long one, as I just read. You heard it, right? So this is the last one. Last episode, we looked at verses 11 through 12. This episode, we're going to finish up looking at verses 15 through 20. So let's check them out. The Bible teaches that the blessings of God come through the conduit or the channel of his judgments. The most basic illustration of this truth is found in the testimony of Jesus. The scriptures teach that Jesus's crucifixion was what we call propitiation against sin. This means that Jesus's death and the manner of it was the satisfaction of the Father's wrath 
against all sin. In other words, Jesus' death was the Father's judgment against sin. God took the form of flesh, and we call him Jesus, in order to pay the penalty of sin on our behalf. He became a curse so that the people who actually believe in these things would not have to suffer the consequences of our own curse that comes from our naturally corrupted and sinful souls. God took the form of flesh in order to judge sin and offered himself as the Lamb of God in order to take sin away from the people that respond to his calling by faith to be his people. The blessing of eternal life, of peace and redemption, it can't take place without the wages of sin being paid for by somebody somehow. And Jesus, who is God in flesh, offered himself up on our behalf to pay a debt that otherwise could not be paid. Without God's judgment, though, against sin by Jesus's crucifixion, we would all remain condemned to hell. Now, the graphic nature of Jesus's suffering and death shows that God's judgment is a really tough subject. It's not easy to talk about the destruction that God has to do in order to provide the goodness of his righteousness. God's promises are holy in nature because he is holy in nature. And so God won't provide the benefits of those promises until he's removed and purged anything and everything that corrupts his promises. This means that God must judge unrepentant and unfaithful sinners in the same manner that he judged sin itself. If not for God's righteous administration of justice against the wicked, we as God's people would not be able to enjoy the full benefits of God's promises according to his pure and holy nature. So this is why God's people in the Bible went to the Lord for mercy, but also desired his judgments, sometimes at the same time, like we see here in Psalm 9 from King David. The scriptures show that God's people understood God's righteous nature and knew that God had to judge sin. He had to deal with corruption, with evil and darkness, somehow, some way. God's people knew that the glory of God's essence as light couldn't be fully enjoyed with darkness hanging around, right? We know that. God's people knew that God's judgments against the wicked it was inevitable and recognizing their own depravity, they desired God's mercy so that they wouldn't have to suffer condemnation when it came time for God's judgments. Still, God's people cherished and prized God's judgments because his judgments show that God is truly righteous. They show that he is supremely in control of all things by the way that he judges and even the timing of those judgments. His judgments show that he's fair. And of course, they show that he's holy. The expression and results of God's judgments show the beauty of God's holy glory. That's what we have to pay attention to in the scriptures. This is the truth that King David was teaching about in Psalm 9, verses 15 through 20. David wrote Psalm 9 as a song of praise to God, believe it or not. And that came from the depths of his heart out of appreciation for God's revelations about himself, right? God showed him stuff. David was thankful. This is the byproduct. Yet Psalm 9, 15 through 20 shows that David valued all facets of God's goodness, even the parts of God that seemed destructive and really difficult. David didn't glory in the destruction of his enemies, but he rejoiced over the revelation of God's righteousness. It's important to see the difference there. David wrote about how God would bring down all nations that oppose him and his people. 
This doesn't mean that David was excited by the idea of death towards all of his enemies. What it does mean is that David valued God's righteous justice. David recognized that the destruction of wicked nations was based on the seeds sown by their own hands. While God will be the administrator of judgment in the end, he will only judge according to the evil that people volunteer themselves to. The scriptures teach that people will reap according to what they sow. This is especially true when it comes time for God's judgments. And I think that's something that we're all kind of familiar with, right? You reap what you sow. The truth of the matter is that God has selected Israel to be a unique people based on the manner in which he uses them to reveal his own righteous salvation, his mercy, grace, faithfulness, and so forth. Now, this doesn't make Jewish people better people, but it does mean that they are a focal point of God's work in this world. The Bible refers to Israel as the apple of God's eye. This means that Israel is like the lens that God looks through the whole world through. It's pretty crazy. Salvation comes freely to all people, but to the Jew first from a Jewish savior by the conduit of faith of which Abraham, the father of the Jews, is also the prototype for saving faith. God's salvation comes out of covenants that God made with Israel. Jerusalem is the place that God selected to set up his throne when he returns to this world in order to rule and reign over it. Israel is the channel by which God's blessings come based on eternal and everlasting promises he made and swore upon himself to fulfill through them. These truths show that God's utilization of Israel is obviously unique, exceptional, and very important for us to pay attention to. This means that the people who oppose Israel and the manner in which God uses Jewish people throughout the ages, collectively and individually, are actually in opposition against God himself. That's crazy, right? This is why God promised Abraham that he would bless those who bless the Jews and curse those who curse the Jews. To be in favor of Israel isn't to be in favor of all of their decisions and conduct like some people think and even accuse today. What it means is to be in favor of God's purposes for Israel and in turn express faith and acceptance of God's purposes and promises for all people. Ultimately, to be in favor of Israel, like the Bible says, is to be in favor of God himself. This is why God said that he would curse those who curse Israel. To curse Israel is to deny God himself and to reject the manner in which he makes and fulfills his promises. Because remember, the promises of blessing to the whole world comes through Israel. In Psalm 9, verses 15 through 16, David explained how God deals with the people who oppose his purposes for his people that are fulfilled through his people. Here's what it says there again. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. So when David wrote about the nations that are judged by God, sinking down into a pit that was made with their own hands, he was referring to the fact that their animosity against God's people was simply reflective of deeper animosity towards God himself. If a person sows hatred and discontentment against God, why shouldn't they reap judgment from God, right? You can't treat God like a jerk and then expect to get all of his benefits and rewards. How can a person despise God and the manner of all his work and then receive the benefits of God's promises? To despise God's people is to despise God's work with his people, which is to despise God himself. This is why the Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Ooh, some stiff words there. Those who harbor hate and bitterness towards God's people and the work that he does through them, they're treasuring up bitterness that will ultimately condemn them in judgment later. Not a good situation. David didn't rejoice over the destruction of the wicked, but he rejoiced over the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises and exalt the glory and purity of God's name by letting those who sow evil reap the effects of their own efforts from God's hand, right? David wasn't trying to take vengeance and payback into his own hands. He was looking for God to fulfill his own word. Remember that David wanted his enemies to be removed so that he could praise God more freely, not to get back at them or prove himself better than them. David recognized the transcendent nature of God's glory and felt that God was worthy of the supremest form of praise known to mankind. David couldn't offer that to God at that time because of the people that were threatening his life, right? You can't praise God while you're hiding in caves and people are trying to kill you and you give yourself away. Doesn't really work like that. David simply wanted the obstacles that prohibited the pure and holy praises of God that were trying to come out of his mouth. He wanted those things to be removed. David knew that God's faithfulness to uphold the integrity of his own name, according to his promises, that would be enough to remove those obstacles. So David's desire for justice against the wicked was tempered by his understanding of God's righteousness. We need to make sure our attitudes against unrighteousness are also tempered by the same understanding of God's righteousness, of course, governed by the Holy Spirit. So then verse 17 goes on to say, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Now here we have to be really careful to pay attention to what's being said. David knew that the wicked would be turned to hell, saying that the wicked are those who forget God. Now this is an important truth to consider. The people who oppose God's people are those who oppose God himself and are called wicked in the scriptures as a result, right? We just talked about that. However, the Bible also teaches that the wicked are simply those who forget God and they're going to be sent to hell as a result also. Now, that means the phrase forget God is really important, isn't it? <laughs> so the phrase forget God refers to those who are oblivious to God. The phrase describes people who depart from the revelations of God, right? As he's putting things out about himself, they're totally ignoring it. And so they forget who he is, especially as the righteous judge of the world. The people who forget God are those who are indifferent to God's purposes and promises, especially concerning eternal and spiritual things, figuring that the mistreatment of God's people isn't really a big deal and it'll go unpunished as they do whatever they want to God's people trying to get whatever they want for this life. The people who forget God are those who despise the eternal nature of God's purposes and promises, the means by which he will fulfill them, and by extension, seek their own ways to satisfaction, peace, and glory, especially at the expense of God's people, ignoring the truth that God repays all people for their conduct. These are the ones that God sends to hell, but only on account of the seeds that they sow, which shows that the person actually desires to be in hell rather than dwell with God. So they're actually sending themselves there. The revelations of God's righteousness, especially according to the specific details of the gospel of Jesus Christ, teach the exact way that anyone is able to receive God's approval and dwell in his presence. 
To despise God's people, his purposes, and his promises is actually to despise the character and nature of God himself. So think about it. Why would God then force such a person to spend all of eternity with them if they spend an entire lifetime rejecting his mercy, his grace, and his blessings in pursuit of other personal affections that they feel are more valuable than God is? This is what David meant by the wicked setting their own traps unto their own destruction. God doesn't pick on people to send them to hell like people accuse. People think that God sends people to hell. That's not exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God simply acknowledges the wicked hearts of those who reject his forgiveness and sanctification and then gives them their just due based on a lifetime spent rejecting him. David honored God and praised him for his ability to recognize who is truly wicked and who isn't. David honored God and praised him for God's wisdom and power to judge the wicked rightly and fairly, which ultimately makes his blessings accessible to the true people of God. So as a result, David was confident to write this in verses 18 through 20. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. So David knew that even though he struggled and God's people often suffer, the needy are not forgotten. Even though the wicked forget God by personal indifference and dissatisfaction with God, God doesn't treat humble and repentant people that way. God is not indifferent to the needs of his people. God doesn't despise the cries of his people. God isn't too concerned with his personal agenda so that he forsakes his people at their expense. That would be terrible. Even though it might seem like God is distant or silent at times, he will never leave or forsake his people because he is faithful. The hope of God's humble servants will not be for nothing, and scripture proves it. David knew that his hope was sure because he knew the scriptures that prove that God is sure, and his relationship with God backed that up. Sometimes it seems like our cries and prayers to God go unheard or unaddressed. We will all have to deal with that feeling at some point in time. That's just the truth of being a Christian these days. Well, the Bible promises that our hope isn't in vain. God will respond in some way at some point in time. Consider the testimony of the book of Revelation as an example. Throughout that whole book, there's people of God who were slain and martyred, whose souls cry out to God for the fulfillment of his righteous judgments. And you see that throughout the testimony of the tribulation. These groups of people include Old Testament believers and New Testament believers, showing that even up until the time of the tribulation, God is waiting to exact judgment against the wicked. This means that while God's people cry out for his righteousness and yearn for his deliverance, many people will have to wait until the very end, including people like David, Old Testament believers, especially martyrs. Still, the testimony of Revelation shows that God indeed rises up to judge the world and does so in quite dramatic fashion, showing that no enemy will prevail and that he alone is God and we as people we're just pitiful human beings, right? If we're saved, we're separated from that wrath. Those who aren't saved, they're going to learn the hard way. Look, in the end, all of God's people will rejoice with satisfaction over the manner and timing of God's judgments, having perfect understanding of God's wisdom, 
sovereignty, and goodness to judge fairly and rightly, even though his judgments are terrifying and destructive. The wait, it will be worth it, even for those who have to suffer death in this life. And again, scripture proves it. This is why David praised God this way. He had this assurance deep down in his heart. Where do you think it came from? It came from his knowledge and understanding of the Lord, from the Spirit. Might have been dwelling in him differently than now for us New Covenant age believers. Same God, though. David is one of many people that had saving faith in the times of the Old Testament and is still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. But you don't see that crippling his ability to trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord, be confident in the Lord, even praising the Lord while waiting through difficulties. Even though David had to wait and struggle in the process, he praised God and rejoiced as much as he could at any given time, knowing that God is the most high God and doesn't change, that he is the Lord, our righteousness and doesn't change, that he is the great I am and doesn't change. David knew that God would humble the proud in time. God would eventually deal with the people that frustrate and stifle his own people from worshiping and praising him in all purity and righteousness. The Bible teaches us that God is seeking men and women to worship him in spirit and truth. And he is righteous and faithful to ensure that we are properly equipped to do so. While it might seem like there are too many things in this world that interrupt our focus on God and our praises towards him, he will soon deal with those things by purging them from existence so that in the end, whoever's going to oppose God, they're going to be put to shame, while those who love him will be fully equipped to worship him in the manner that he deserves, the manner that we even crave right now, and there won't be any hindrance of any kind. And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. Yeah, life is hard right now. If you're frustrated by your inability to praise and worship God because of issues you have to deal with in this life, just like the rest of us, look, God is going to address those things. We can count on that because of the testimony we see of him in scripture. If there are people in your life that are keeping your mind and heart in a bad place, affecting your gratitude and attitude towards God to praise him, he's going to deal with that stuff too. He did for David. The people of God have been dealing with these things for a long time. Look at David here in Psalm 9. And also make sure you remember that even though he struggled, he remembered God's righteousness and the natural principle of reaping and sowing. God will handle his business the right way, the right time, because he's the righteous judge. If we remember that, we can continue encouraged, even in frustrating and difficult circumstances. The true testimony of scripture proves it. So be encouraged and be confident in knowing who our God is. So, before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed, make sure that you share the link to this podcast on your social media, and make sure you're letting people know about what we got going on right here. <laughs> we need all the help we can get around here. Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope that they may need in a format like this. And also, keep in mind that all of the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make all this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree. And we all know times is tough these days, right? Stuff is expensive, time is money, and money is scarce. So the body of Christ needs all the help and support we can get to keep this stuff going. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. 
We're a legit nonprofit. We have a 501c3 operating through our parent ministry, which is called Proper Knowledge Ministries. Feel free to look us up. If you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing, here's how you do it. You can visit www.pastorbside.com, like the flip side of a record. Hit the support tab when you get there and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. Believe me, every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering monthly with us, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church because the church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, right? Continuing in the apostles' doctrine, and that's exactly what we do here. Something to think about, something to pray about. So again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. And until next time, peace out.